Because today is the first Sunday of Advent. For some of you, this is your first Advent season with us. Uh, I have been, you know, it's been over 20 years now that we've been focusing on Advent for the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, the word Advent, some of you may not be real familiar with it, but it comes from the Latin Adventus, which is a translation of the Greek word parousia, which is a word that is used to refer to the second coming of Christ. Now, technically, Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas. Um, I'm doing five Sundays because you know me. If some is good, there you go. More is better. That's right. If some is good, more is better. Um, you know, but I've always just kind of done it. Our fifth, the fifth Sunday is Christmas Eve. Um, you know, so that kind of that that fits right in there. But um, you know, what we do is we use these weeks that lead up to Christmas as a, as a chance opportunity. Uh, to look forward to our celebration of the arrival of Jesus, which is, I hope is your main focus for Christmas. Certainly it's a family time. Certainly it's a time not just for kids, but for adults as well. But I hope surrounding that, overflowing that, infusing all of that is your celebration of the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, the Savior. You know, the one whom we, whom we uh, remember and whom we celebrate. Advent is meant to be a season of expectation, a season of great expectation, really. It has a double focus for us as we remember and we look back and we remember his incarnation, his birth. Incarnation is a word that just means enfleshment, his, his taking on flesh, coming to earth, God himself coming to earth and taking on flesh and living among us. And we look back on that in Bethlehem. And at the same time, we are awaiting and looking for his second coming, uh, that parousia, that, you know, his return, his coming again. Our, our Advent theme this year, as you see, is the star. And uh, today, we continue really a journey that began a long time ago, not just for us when I'm thinking about God's people. It's all the way back in Genesis where it begins. Because back in Genesis, we find these words in the third chapter. The third chapter, just to bring you your mind back in into speed and into sync the first you know a couple chapters the first one and blending bleeding into the second one talks about creation and then you have as it as it continues on into the third chapter uh, the temptation and the, the the sin and sin entering into the world and as sin entered into the world then god extended every opportunity for them to straighten things out, when God came and said, Adam, where are you? He was not looking for information. God was not wondering where Adam was. He knew exactly where Adam was. What he was doing was giving Adam that opportunity to step up and confess his sin and confess his disobedience to what God had laid out. When he said to Eve, what have you done? He was not looking for information. He was affording her the opportunity to step up and say, I have, I have done wrong. I have gone against what you've told us. And then we have the unfolding of the consequences of those sins, often referred to as the curse that came on all mankind and the earth as God explain the consequences of their choice to 
ignore what he had to say and to really ignore him and to put their own ideas and thoughts above what he had told them. And this is part of those consequences. These are the consequences, part of the consequences that were laid out to the serpent, to the devil, to the enemy himself, where God tells him, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning friction, meaning, meaning, you know, meaning button heads there, between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what you see then as it comes along, and, and, and it's pretty vivid in the beginning, you know, shortly after this, when Eve, you know, conceives, and they say, the question they, they come up with, this is a paraphrase, is, is this the man, is this the one, is this the one that, that God was talking about here? In this, you know, what we have marked as the 15th verse of the third chapter, is this the one? And we see that unfolding over and over again as man began to look forward to this waiting promise and this deliverer who would set our relationship with God right again. The one who would do away with that cause of sin and, and who would take care of that and set things right with God. And as you read through the, through the Old Testament, you see really... That the, the, the expectation continue for over two thousand years, you know, and, and you know, then we have well, I can say over two thousand years ago, men followed a star and discovered the light of the world. Now, for us, it's a journey. It's a journey of the heart and soul, but it's also a journey that will begin to realign our expectations and experiences as we experience Christmas, the Christmas season, if we let it. You see, if we let it, let, let me encourage you, don't waste, some of you, you know, have this tendency that we are going to do all things Christmas. Some of you have the opposite, that we are going to fight all things Christmas. Both, I think, are poor choices. What I would hope you do through all of it is continue to embrace God in this season that all around you, like it or not, and don't love it too much, but like it or not, you know, all around us is, is this Christmas season going on. Make it the same as you should all the other time that you embrace Christ in the midst of what is going on all around us. You have the opportunity to bring Jesus into, you know, th those of you who, who are frustrated with, with some of what you see as the commercial, commercialization of Christmas, you have the opportunity to bring Jesus into, in, into the situations you are in, in the midst of perhaps that commercialization. Those of you who, you know, who embrace Christmas, I would encourage you, don't forget what it's about. Don't forget to embrace Jesus as you go through this. And we have all of this unfolding for us you know we need to we need to let it let you know our relationship with christ be realigned if you will as we think about some of these things during the advent season 
We're going to explore the gifts of Christmas delivered by and through Christ, a hope, love, joy, peace, and light. The hope, love, joy, and peace are normal parts of the Advent celebration, um, because I always do a fifth Sunday, we pull another one in there, and it's this year we're going to focus on light there with us, you know, because we all need hope in the storms of life. We all need a love that never gives up. We need fresh joy, you know, on our journey, and we need peace no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're dealing with. We need light to guide us, you know, to guide us through all of this every day. Let's pray, and we're going to pull into this a little bit more. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, as Ralph had mentioned. We thank you that you thought of us. What an awesome, what an awesome privilege to know you as we enter into this Christmas season, this Advent season. What an honor to know you. So I pray that as we look into your word that you would help us to more and more embrace that reality. Not only that you came, Jesus, but that you're coming again. That we would not, that we would not simply uh, uh, get caught up in what's going on around us any time of year. But that in all of them we will embrace you in the midst of the surroundings we find ourselves in. So guide us and be glorified, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now the star that had guided the wise men, you know, it it takes a central place in the Christmas story. We don't know what it looked like, but you throw up a star like this and everybody thinks, oh, that's it. Uh, You know, and uh, did it really shine down, you know, right where he was? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, It's given, the mention in the Bible is really very brief. You know, the whole picture there, and yet it takes a very prominent place in in our thoughts about Christmas and our thoughts about Advent. Um, the record of the wise men from the east who followed the stars, it's only mentioned in Matthew's account of Jesus' birth. It's not mentioned in Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion, you know, by scholars, by scientists, as to what the star actually was. While I was studying for the sermon, I saw, you know, they... they one of their theories again, and they pull up, and there's Jupiter and you know Jupiter. I don't know what they all were, you know, and, Mar- and all and Venus, and all these, and they got together, and somebody said, well, you know, that's Halley's comet, oh, and it's you know Halley wasn't around, and so it was you know Butterwall's comet or whatever it was. Um, it was Comet and Blitzen, and oh, that's a different story. Um, and they, um, you know, and, and they have this discussion about what the star actually was, who the wise men were. You know, and what took place that they actually saw this as. Uh, but apart from the debate, is the is, is the truth that this star somehow led people, led the wise men in particular, the ones who were given the information about the Magi, but quite possibly others, and it led them to Jesus somehow or other. It led them, you know, to him. And some were still on their journey on the night he was born. Many scholars, most scholars, they placed the, the wise men showing up some as early as a few months before uh, and others all the way to two years. 
he wasn't, they, they weren't there, you know, your little manger scene, your little nativity set you have, and there's the shepherd, and, the, you know, and, well, they came on camels, you know, because Humvees weren't invented yet. And so anyhow, they, they, you know, we have the little nativity set with all of those little things set there, and um, they weren't all there the first night. You know, the wise men, the reason that they feel it's, you know, that it was several months to as long as possibly two years is because of the wording that's used there. When the wise men came and look back, you know, make a little note for yourself and look this up. Uh, Look back and you will see that the wise men came to a house. They came to the house where Jesus was. And the word they use, it doesn't say Jesus, that where the infant was. That, that word that's used there is the word they use for a toddler as opposed to a newborn. Now, that's just all good little trivia for you. All I'm doing is pointing out that, you know, however it worked, that star was there long enough to guide them as, as that ultimate guide, you know, that led them to Jesus, that led them to the light of the world. Now, as we take this journey, you know, and as we go along on this Advent season, I want to encourage all of us to look for the light, you know, because, you know, look for Jesus. Look for him more often and in more places than you normally would. Let let the celebration of Christmas around you draw your attention once again to Jesus and who he is, because the season is about the journey as much as it is the destination It's a time to prepare, maybe pause, ponder, think a little bit, breathe deeply. Turn our eyes to the true meaning of Christmas this year. You know, a season that it can seem so hectic and so stressful in our culture. No matter where you find yourself today, you need to choose to be a part of this journey. And for some, Christmas is a horrible time. Because it just brings back pain and and discomfort. Uh... I was driving in this morning, and as I was coming in, I, I, I was on my way here before the sun came up, and it was at that time where it's getting kind of light, you know, but the sun's not up yet. And I could clearly see that frost out over, over the fields and stuff, and on the, on the trees, on the weeds, and everything. And I thought, this is so cool. Jenny and I were talking yesterday. Uh, you know about uh, sometimes I miss not traveling for the holidays, but you know I love getting together with my family and things that are here. And so this morning, as I was driving in, and I was thinking about Christmas's past when we did travel, you know, to see the family, um, because there were more. There was more family. <laughs> You know, my mom was still here. My two brother-in-laws who have passed were still here. And I was thinking, what great times we had. Sometimes Christmas hurts. And we can get dragged down by that. But we can't let it. We, 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 can't, we can't give in to that. Because what we're celebrating is such a great thing. The reality of our Savior who came 
to redeem us and to focus on that. Think about the people who were part of the events surrounding Jesus' birth. You have Mary, Joseph, an innkeeper. We are told about a jealous king, the wise men, common shepherds, angels, and there were so many more. There were many other people because the shepherds went out, it says, and they told everybody what they saw. They were telling people. Now, the pace of our lives would probably make their heads spin just a little bit, you know, but each of them, they were facing difficulties we wouldn't want to be a part of. We wouldn't want, we, they didn't have all the answers. You know, they didn't, they didn't have all the answers about what was going on. They, they didn't have time to spend hours getting ready for this great event that was happening. It was thrust upon them. They didn't even understand what was happening, you know, all, all the time. And, and you even have the shepherds, and it says as they're going, they're telling about this great thing, and yet wondering among themselves what was going on. Even when angels appeared to them, even when stars were guiding them, they still had these questions. But each one of them answered God's invitation, and they saw the arrival of his son. And they came, and they saw the light of the world, the Savior of all. Now what I want you to do is look through your life and maybe through the dark parts of it there and, and no matter what's going on, look for that glimmer of hope. That's what we're focusing on today. Step toward the light even if your vision seems cloudy right now. Step toward the light. Take that next step. You may not see everything down the Let me rephrase that. You can't see everything that's down the road. You don't know how it's going to change. You don't know what's going to happen. All God is asking you to do is take that next step. Take that next step that helps you draw closer to the light, that helps you draw closer to him. Just as they were taking that journey to Bethlehem, we need to take that next step drawing us closer to him, drawn by hope, love, joy, peace, and the light that awaits you. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1102. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, it doesn't seem like a Christmas passage but remember what we're looking at today. We're looking at hope, and we're focusing on hope. In this passage, drop down to verse 17 in Hebrews chapter 6, and, and listen to, you know, and look as, we, as we're reading through this, to the hope, how this, how this just brings hope out there in an extremely powerful way. Verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives. Safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we see there that picture of embracing that hope. Advent season is a time for us to do just what it says here, to flee for refuge and seize the hope set before you. 
that refuge, that place where, uh, of safety, that place where, where you can be. Yesterday, uh, Mandy and, and Michael and the kids were still in, and Molly loves to go walking back into the new construction area. Well, we were, you know, we were heading back that way, and somebody was shooting because it's farmers' fields around there and stuff. I can't, I mean, you know, because of the, the, the hearing problems, I can't tell what direction this is coming from. So before I left the house, you know, I said to Michael, you know, their dad, I said, which way is the shooting coming from? He said it was over there. I said, okay. So the shooting was over there. I started going over here. And as we're going over there that way, and this, it's getting louder, and I'm thinking, it's got to be in front of me. I mean, it's getting louder. And, it's getting... and there's this big hill that the kids wanted to climb, you know, and they wanted to see. And, and it sounds to me like, man, it's just like on the other side of that hill. And they're shooting, and Max, two and a half, looks at me and says, Papa, I hear fireworks in my ears. I said, yeah, bud. Yeah, I, I said, I, I hear it too. And, that, and that this one shot went off, and it was just kind of loud. And Molly takes a step toward me. She said, she said, that scared me. She took a step towards me because she saw that as a place of safety, a place of refuge. Not just so you know, we did turn, and we put the hill between us and them, and we went the other way, you know. But there's the picture for us. We need to take a step. You know, we need to take those steps toward God, that place of refuge, just like this verse says. You know, just like the verse says here, that you, you decide, you flee for refuge, and you seize that hope that's before you. And sometimes it's hard, but what we, we need to do, we need to, take, we need to take that step toward our Savior. And that's kind of difficult for us sometimes. You know, uh, sometimes Christmas is just we're already overwhelmed, you know, and for some it's even more overwhelming. There's different struggles. Maybe it's financial stress. Maybe it's relational dysfunctions and, uh, you know, that you can put behind you the rest of the year. Maybe it's memories of loss, like I said, or, or commercialization, you know, expectations. There's all sorts of things going on. The specifics are different, but we've all been there. We've all been there at one time or another, and we might be in the midst of it right now. But let me encourage you. That's exactly where hope shines the brightest. How do you follow the star on this journey of hope? You know, how can we purposefully live this season in anticipation, you know, in light of hope? Um, I'm going to suggest, you know, that it starts with acknowledging the darkness around us. And then we decide not to live in that darkness. We embrace the weight and committing to the journey. So our first thought, you know, is to acknowledge the darkness. I brought my flashlight with me. It doesn't seem like much to you. Um, I usually have one of these in my pocket. Um, there's another one on my desk. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem very exciting, you know, to you at all, but well, if we found ourselves in complete darkness, this would be a great comfort. 
In fact, the reason I carry it with me is, and the reason I have one on my desk is when I'm in here at night and it's dark, these lights aren't on. And it's pretty dark in here. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of running into one of these pews with your shins, but I have many more times than I would ever have liked to happen. And so before I had any of these little lights, I would come out here and I'd stand for a while and I'd walk slowly, you know, and still sometimes, particularly now because, you know, we, I pull these short pews that are usually up here down here and there's more stuff to run into. And I move very carefully, except when I have this light, you see, because it doesn't seem like much to you now, but when it's really dark in here, I... Right, right in front of me, and I don't have to slow down. I can just walk my normal. I could just walk my normal pace, and find that center aisle and go and go down. And it, it, it doesn't look like much, you know. It, but but it, it's it's a huge thing. Now it's kind of amazing when you think about it that God chose a star to guide the wise men to Bethlehem. Now throughout you know the Bible we we see how God uses His own creation to reveal Himself. The psalmist talks about it in several different places. One in Psalm 19 says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day they pour out their speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard, and their message has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world." In Psalm 8, it says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you set in place, what is man that you, are, that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? You know, God's glory is seen in the stars, but did you ever think about this? They can only be seen at night. They're, they're out there right now. And they're shining just as brightly now as they did last night. And as they will tonight. But the thing is that you can't see them. It's just like this little flashlight, you know, and I light it up now and you, you, know, you really can't see it. You can see that the little things are, but you really can't see the light from it when I shine it on something. That's how it is with the stars, only on a much grander scale. You know, they are still out there all day long, but we can't see them. In fact, you see them best on the darkest of nights. When the moon's out there, there's some stars you can't see because of the light reflected from the moon. The Bible study that I, that I was in when I became a Christian and, you know, shortly, well, for a while thereafter, uh, we used to go camping on Labor Day weekend to a place called Governor Dodge State Park in Wisconsin. Now, what we would do there, we took a group site, which was a primitive site, meaning that there was no power, no water, no bathroom, uh, not even an outhouse. You know, there was nothing out there. Uh, we drove back, way back in the park, and you get to a gravel lot, and in the gravel lot, there's a path. And what you would do then is you would pick up all your junk and you would carry it about a half mile further into the, into the woods and there was somewhat of a clearing there and that's where you would set up your camp. 
Now at night I got out my trusty flashlight, and trust me, it was bigger than this one, uh, you know, because I needed something out of the car, and I walked back down that path out to that gravel lot, and you know, when I got out from under the trees, you know, there it was, bam, there's this, in the sky, it was filled with more stars than I had ever seen. Remember, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and there was a lot of street lights around there. There's a lot of city lights. There's a lot of light even here in Fort Wayne. There's a lot of light going on that you don't even realize. And, and, you know, the stars are always there. You simply can't see them. And one of the things I noticed is when I got away from the campfire, I could see even more stars just for the light of that campfire. They're always there. It's when it gets darker that we can more easily see them, that they become more prominent for us. This time of year, you know, the holiday glitz can artificially light our lives or maybe we get our own attractions going and, and you know, we try to, and all those, because we, we want to be distracted sometimes from that gnawing darkness. But facing the darkness and calling it what it truly is allows us to see the true light. Because when we acknowledge the darkness is when we can see that star that then leads us on our journey. Our journey closer to Jesus. And as we go through this Advent season toward Christmas, let's be honest about the darkness we find ourselves in. Both the darkness in the world around us and the darkness in our own heart. We don't like to admit that part. We live in a world that's full of darkness and fear. Read the newspaper, watch the news. It ain't happy stuff. It is not the happy hour when you look at all of those things, you know. But it, it's into that great darkness that the light shines in even a greater way, in a, in a, in a better way. The Bible tells us it was also a pretty dark time for the people of Israel when Jesus showed up. Old Testament prophets uh, prophesied about the Messiah. Uh, we looked at some of them, you know, and after hundreds of years of waiting in Isaiah chapter 7, it says, But the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And we think of this and we think, well, what a great Christmas. For... But you know what? They heard this and yet they waited. They said, Isaiah, I heard what you're saying, but I'm not seeing it happen. And he talks about that coming light and the present darkness, you know, and the light continued to grow throughout the centuries. And in chapter 9, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness, but they continued to feel the great darkness. The people in, in Jesus' time, you know, they, both of these verses were spoken long before Jesus was born. And by the time, you know, by, by just before Jesus was born, let's, let's go to the night before Jesus was born. They are still all feeling this great darkness. They're, you know, they, they're living under oppression. They're living under a foreign government. They were a conquered people. It wasn't like they wanted. It wasn't at all like they had hoped. It wasn't at all. They didn't see these promises being fulfilled of God. Now, for us looking back, it's easy, and it's it's easier to see how how things fit together. And that first Passover, when God spared the firstborn of the Israelites in Egypt, he set them free for slavery. And we can see how that foreshadowed the coming of Christ and Jesus as the Passover lamb. But the people of Israel did not have the benefit of that hindsight. They lived in that space between promise and fulfillment. And they were in between. 
And they couldn't see how this all fit together and where it all came down. They were desperate to be delivered from what they had. Many of them thought God had forgotten them, especially as they were living under Herod's rule. And today we share that common experience of darkness and desperation. And nothing can rescue us except God. People try other things. They try other things. When you're struggling, when you're struggling with stuff, and you get just a little bit ahead of it and a little bit on top of it, and you look back, you can see why some people abuse alcohol. You can see why some people use drugs to avoid the reality that they're living in. People try all sorts of different things, and nothing's going to rescue us but God. Now, the beauty of the journey that we see as we look at this is that God shows up. In what seems to be the darkest hour, God shows up. And there's part of the message of Christmas, the reality of it. You know, we can find, we can continue to draw hope knowing that Jesus entered our dark world. And Christmas is a reminder of that. His spirit, you know, it'll fan even the smallest spark. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, he said, it'll fan even the smallest spark of hope within us, draws us toward him in a vibrant daily hope. Acknowledge the darkness so that you can get beyond it. So that you don't live there. It's not an instant process, but it is a real process. And part of what we need on that journey is to embrace the weight. Embrace the weight. Who likes waiting? Nobody does. We live in a culture. We live in a culture that does everything possible to reduce the amount of time we spend waiting, except at the doctor's office. But, you know, there's two lines in the drive-thru at McDonald's or any many other places, you know, and we're trying to reduce the weight there. You can email your order ahead of time. Uh, you know, to places, so it's ready when you go there. We've done that before. We used to, before they built a Chipotle, uh, you know, on every corner, which I like, by the way. Uh, we used to go to, you know, the only one in town for a while, and it was always crowded. It was always busy, and we found we didn't have to wait in line if we emailed our order, because then what we could do is we could walk in, and we could walk past all those people waiting in line, and we could walk right, right up to the counter and say, I emailed my order, and oh, it's right here, and they give it to us, and bingo, bango, off we go. You see, we live in a society that does all it can to reduce the weight, and we don't like we don't like waiting. I am sick and tired of it taking six seconds for my computer to boot up. (laughs) So are you. So are you. I mean, think about it. Remember the old one, and he had to turn the crank on the side because we didn't have electricity yet to. We just don't like waiting. I don't think we would do very well living in the days when Jesus was born here because they knew all about the long wait. We looked at Genesis and they were looking, you know, what it said there in Genesis about, about uh, you know, the, what was going to come and, and deliver us from sin. And he had that promised hope there. God crushed a serpent's head, you know, that tempted Eve. And they're waiting for this to happen. When's it going to happen? You know, this was Jesus, you know, the source of hope from the very beginning. God had a plan, and he had a plan from the start. But in a time 
strengths of our world, it seemed like forever. I mean, for them, it really did. Now imagine a farmer standing, standing in a field in his end of his yet another growing season where there was not enough rain. And he's looking at the ground and it's cracked and it's, it's all split and it's just dust. Years and years of drought have taken, it's just taken everything from him, you know, and he's lost all hope. But then in the distance he hears thunder. He hears thunder, you know, the promise of rain. Hope that things are about to change. That's the image of John the Baptist, and you know, he gave of himself when people asked if he was the Messiah. He said, no, he wasn't, but he was the one announcing the birth of the long-awaited one. Uh, he was that things were about to change. He was that herald of hope, and the message, which is a, a, a paraphrase that some refer to as a translation, it's really just a paraphrase, but at any rate, this is what he says. Uh, John the Baptist, in, in John chapter 1, he says, I am thunder in the desert. I like that description. I am thunder in the desert. Make the road straight for God. I'm doing what the prophet Isaiah preached. Advent is a time of waiting. I learned a whole new perspective on waiting uh, three years ago when the doctor, you know, when the doctors found not just one but two tumors inside my skull, and uh, you know things were moving fast. They were moving furious, and you know it was, and, and questions were coming. And I was getting more and more doctors, and it was just it was just not a not a happy time. It was a very unsettled time, uh, you know, for me at that point. And uh, I remember, you know, we went to see one of the doctors, and uh, you know, he talked with us, and it was actually the day that they told me they found a tumor. And I remember sitting there. He says, "Well," he says, "Yeah, I came back positive." He said. Um, yeah, there's a tumor there. I thought, hmm. He says, what questions do you have? I didn't really have any. Jenny had about 12. Boom, 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 boom. And and when he was done, uh, he looked at us and he said, you're going to have more questions. He said, when you have, you know, he said, you have the questions, just give me a call. I said, okay, you know, I will. And so, sure enough, you better believe the questions came. You know, they found the one tumor, and then it showed the edge of a second tumor, and so you go through all these tests again, and yeah, I had questions. So, literally, with just hours' notice, I called this doctor to see if we could come in to see him, and they graciously let us come in, butt in, you know, and everybody else's schedule that day. That man stood there for 45 minutes answering my questions. I didn't realize it was 45 minutes until we left there and I looked at my watch again. 45 minutes he stood there answering our questions. And I walked out and looked at my watch and realized it was 45 minutes while everybody else waited in those rooms next to us and across the hall from us for the doctor to come and speak to them. It gave me a whole new perspective on waiting. I do not complain when I am waiting at a doctor's office anymore. I do not complain 
what I remember is that other people need help too. Advent should be a time that reminds us that other people need help too. And that Jesus is the only help that is going to make a difference for them. Because what they need is forgiveness and new life. We generally don't like to wait. You know, it can make us uncomfortable, but there is great benefit in embracing Advent as a season of waiting. When we anticipate the coming of Jesus, the wait reminds us, it reminds us where our hope is set. That it is set on Him. It allows us time to focus, to hear that distant rumble of thunder and the promise that the hope will be fulfilled. And while we, wait, while we wait to celebrate Jesus' birth, we also wait for our true hope to be fulfilled. That time when Jesus comes again. John talks about this in the book of Revelation. He says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any heat. For the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, we still live in that time between the already and the not yet. We, are, we still live in that time between he has already come, he has not yet returned. And we live in that in-between time where we can't see how all the stuff fits together. So part of our challenge is waiting with hope. Hope draws us onward. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, a famous verse on, on hope, you know, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It draws us onward to that expectation of our beliefs. Allow Advent you know, to be that reminder of the confidence we have and the hope that we wait for what we do not yet see is coming again. That's standing before the throne. Embrace the wait. Our next guideline, commit to the journey. Commit to the journey. I don't know about you, but my natural images of, of waiting and journeying are different. They're quite different. One involves sitting around, and the other involves moving. But the concept of waiting throughout the Bible is one of active waiting. It's active waiting. We wait with expectant hearts, but we're constantly moving forward on our journey. Like traveling home for Christmas. You know each mile, each hour brings you closer, you know, closer to that destination. It's the reminder that Ad, what Advent has for us, that each hour brings us closer to that destination. Henry Nouwen, he describes uh, what we see in Scripture of, as, of active waiting in his book, you know, Waiting for God. And he writes, active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and you want to be present to it. What an excellent description of Advent. It's not just that waiting, but realizing that something is happening right where we are. That active waiting, present in the moment while we anticipate where we're going for. It's not easy. It takes strength to, you know, to be able to continue and encourage. But we can draw that 
from our very source of hope. Psalm 31 says, Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. When we struggle sometimes is when we're putting our hope in something else. Commit to the journey. Now, there is one we skipped as I laid those out at the beginning for you. You know, and this is one that I think we're going to have to go over and over in our minds again. And it's decide, you know, choose not to live in the darkness. Choose not to live there. Now, we can say that, but what does it look like in real life? It's easy to say, but how do we get there in real life? It's not always easy. Peter gives us these words. He says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope is about waiting, but waiting that involves a commitment to be present in a journey of obedience. Notice what it says in that verse. Have your minds ready for action. These are words of expectation and active anticipation. Have your minds ready for action. Set your hope. It says be serious. Make a choice. You see, make a choice not to live in that darkness. He says, you know, to be completely, have it focused, a hope completely on the grace of God. When you find it's incomplete, when you find you wander, when you find that you're struggling with it, choose once again to get your mind ready, you know, and set your hope once again. Now, the good news in all of this is that wherever you are on your journey, it's okay. It's okay. And you might be sitting there thinking, I don't have it all together. It's okay. You know what? None of us do. But the neat thing is, different ones of us have different parts together. And there's this one, this one little part. And when I can put the little part I have together with the little part you have together, when we come together as a body of Christ, and then this becomes a fuller thing for us. We have five Sundays that lead to Advent, you know, but that's a human-created calendar. You know, that's uh, not God's timing. That's how we go about things. Advent is not about a deadline of when it's time to get prepared. It's not about finding all the answers and checking all the boxes. It's about being prepared. You have to show up and be willing to follow God's lead. The neat thing is, no matter where you are, no matter where you are, it is never too late. As long as you are breathing, it is never too late. Acknowledge the darkness. Embrace the weight. Commit to the journey. Choose not to live in darkness. God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect, and he wants to fill your heart with hope for the ultimate healing in the gift of his Son. And that reason for hope will fuel your journey through all of Advent. Take time to, to study, to read about hope. Uh, Pastor Stan mentioned the, uh, the devotionals. They look like this. They're out on the table there. Um, this first week is on hope. So all this week you would be reading about hope. Uh, Pastor Jeff Elliott does the first five days. Uh, we switched pastors every five days. That's just how it worked on this. But I'd encourage you, get it, you know, let it, let it help you. Uh, you know, they're free, so grab it if, you know, take one. Take as many as you're going to use. Let me say that again. Take as many as you're actually going to use. 
Don't take 12 of them because you're going to give them away and then have 11 of them sitting at home. All right? Take as many as you're going to use. Can you say that with me? As many as you're going to use. There you go. Thanks. Okay. Uh, so that's the, that's the whole deal there. Uh, you know, but, but, but use maybe it'll help you. Take time for God. Take time for God, and he will renew you with hope. Let's pray.